welcome to episode 30 of the I'm your host Giovanni and with me today are both our co-host Johanna and Nicola finally we are all together uh, hello 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 and hello. we have a guest as you just hear yes oh no now I'm gonna totally butcher your surname but Moritz uh, Wustenberg yes that's perfect okay nice Ooh. Uh, he's, uh, well, I guess you can call master distiller from Kalevala Gin in Finland. So, well, before we start, why don't you introduce yourself? Because you can for sure do it that better than me. Tell us who you are and what you do. Right. Um, yeah, so as you said, my name is Morris Wistenberg. Uh, I am uh, a distiller, a student still, a PhD student at the moment, and an entrepreneur more generally. Uh, the business we're talking about today is the, the gin business. This is something I started initially in 2010. Um, I was the first one in Finland to uh, get a license so outside of university for doing experimental distilling so it wasn't a license which with which we could um sell but i did this next to my studies to become a biochemical engineer in london and from this uh our gin idea has basically developed over the years so we've been selling our gin since 2014. Uh, we are a small distillery based in uh, easternmost finland so very near uh, where my mom's from uh, basically the, the distillery was founded into a garage where it still is uh, we've extended um, from time to time, but uh, last extension was last year. So we built a, a warehouse. Um, so we extended the existing building uh, with a warehouse because our production has been growing over the years. Um, but we still do the same thing. So we keep it um, small and real. So how many people are there in the distillery? Um, so it's me, then it's uh, Tanya, who's my partner and now the managing director of the company. And we have Kirsi who is um, the person who works there day-to-day. -day. So she bottles, uh, sometimes she uh, helps with the distillation as well, but mostly she bottles because every bottle is still made by hand. So um, what, which means that we take, we bottle by hand, we label by hand, and we uh, put in the stoppers by hand, and we put on the shrink capsules by hand. So it's a lot of handwork. So she's fully employed just doing that, basically. In addition to that, we've got uh, the partner in the company who's called uh, Risto. You can meet him quite often on the ship. So if you go, for example, to Tallinn or Stockholm, he will be there selling Arjun and letting you taste it as well. All and right. then, of course, me. Yeah, of course. That you do the actual distilling. Yes, I actually do most of the distilling, although I don't work full-time in the company. So um, we, we will talk about distilling, I guess, later when you ask the questions. But Distillation is actually, so to say, the um, not sure if it's the least laborsome part, but uh, no, we distill once or twice a week. So, but we bottle each day. That means that I drive to Kite and I do the distillation, and then I come back to Yonsu where I have my full time job at the university. I'm doing my PhD, so I work as a researcher and I do some teaching, with different administrative things here as well. So uh, I have a very full schedule usually. Yeah, that, that's really interesting to, to hear because I'm a PhD student also here in Finland. And having a distilling job as a side sounds mm -hmm. extremely interesting. Yeah, it is. So, well, let's, Johanna, you, Nicola, do you want to start with some general question? Um, I don't really have general questions. I only have these uh, <laughs> very weird questions, for example, related to the local ingredients and so on. 
do you think is it's a it's a, is it a good time to ask them already now or do we want well, to we, we can uh, maybe let, let's just start with uh, the general how you make gin so from there we can maybe move to the ingredients i have so many questions to ask i'm writing them <laughs> down and i don't even know from where from where i can start but go ahead with the easy stuff i will go with the hard one nice okay so <laughs> let's let's just start like uh, you have uh, like how do you go from the raw ingredient to the final gin in a like generally easy way yep um, so basically, I guess, uh, as you guys know, and most of the listeners, if they've been following this, uh, gin is based on neutral alcohol. So as the alcohol base, we use wheat, wheat-based alcohol. Uh, what we do with this, so it, it comes in at 96.5%. And before we start distillation, so we, before we put the ethanol into the still, we dilute it to around 80% ABV. Um, so after that, we add it to the actual still. Our still is around 120 liters in total capacity, but we fill it to 100. So the operational capacity is 100 liters. After that, uh, to keep it simple, we, we, so we grind the juniper berries. We get full juniper berries. We grind them down to, um, in a blender, basically. So it releases the flavor better. We add them to the still as well. And then we uh, wait for 24 hours. So we add some other ingredients at this point as well, but this is the idea. So we macerate all of these ingredients in the still. Uh, after 24 hours, we add some other ingredients as well. Uh, and then we wait another 12 hours. So before we start distillation, this is after 36 hours in total, we would take this, um, it's called, it's like a vapor tray. So it's a tray which we place in the vapor path. So when the um, ethanol rises up as a uh, distillate, it goes through this uh, um, vapor tray and get some of the um, additional um, flavors. So in this, for example, we have raspberry leaf and uh, rosebud. So these are the more refined tastes. So if you would put them into the liquid phase, you wouldn't get a nice taste out of it. So this is why we have this vapor tray. Uh, after that, this very simple distillation. So this is a pot still. So we have uh, two stages or three, depends on how you want to count this. Uh, and out comes the gin. It's as simple as that, to be honest. After that, we uh, dilute it with water, so we have our own well. We actually have a small um, water purification station, so we, because we use our own water, we need to be certified as a, a water producer, so we do that as well, so it's very um, high-quality water. And then we blend it basically to the, the drinking strength or to the bottling strength. From there, it's bottling, labeling, um, you know, packaging. Yeah, so... Before we move to the more complicated things, is I have a question since we just went to see another distiller in Helsinki and mm -hmm. they use mostly rye or a mix of rye and wheat yeah. or something else, don't even remember. Uh, but they make also whiskey, so it's then it goes different. But they start with a much lower alcohol percentage when they start the distillation because mm -hmm. they uh, let it ferment for a few days. So what about, do you ferment your starting material over there for how long, usually? Uh, so it depends on which one. So as, as I said, the juniper, we had uh, 24 hours before distillation. And then we had some other ingredients just 12 hours before distillation. So basically, yeah. so I would call it maceration instead of fermentation. Okay. Fermentation, in my opinion, so that would be a process where you have yeast in, in the uh, mix. Okay. So you don't do that. So you start from, like you get alcohol, the alcohol from somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, everybody in Finland gets it. In Finland, there's only one producer who can produce uh, this type of alcohol, and that's Altia. 
So, okay. I mean, uh, just as an example, I know that some get it from France, others get, especially rye base usually comes from Estonia. So in Finland, I mean, U.S. Uh, chemists or chemical engineers know, know this, that you would need approximately at least uh, 30 stages. So you need a column still and a rectification still. And you, you basically need at least 30 theoretical stages to produce uh, the base, which can be used for gin because it needs to be 96.5% ABV or actually 96% ABV by law. So this comes from the EU directive. And in Finland, there's only one producer. So uh, our ex-state monopoly, Altia. Yeah. So okay. everybody else gets it uh, from different places. Some get it from Altia, actually, I know. I mean, I can't name things, but uh, for example, yeah, no, the one in Helsinki gets it from Altia. So I, I, we know kind of, I mean, we talk to each other as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it depends where you get it from. Okay. So Nicola has a question. Well, yeah, first of all, Kudos for the name. Spirit of the Way is actually a very interesting name. It recalls mm. me a Japanese uh, movie or story, if I'm not mistaken. It's actually interesting. Yeah, you mean Kalevala? So, yeah. Yeah, the Spirit of the Way is the um, this inter art interview article that we linked before. But yeah, the name mm -hmm. of the gene is actually Kalevala. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kalevala. Okay, interesting. That is kind uh, of the this... Uh, has, how would you describe the Finnish national poem? National epic, actually. Yeah, uh, here you go. Yeah. Cool. So I, I'm a process engineer uh, in a semiconductor industry. Uh, so it's kind of, I, when you talk about processes, this, this triggers me like, wow, I want to know so much stuff about your distillation process. And uh, but it's also related to you know taste in the end because you make a product that everyone can enjoy it every evening or now and then with friends. So my my question, my curiosity comes from how do you do you first of all do you keep um, a process control? Do you track your processes? For example, you talk about uh, alcohol; it must be like ninety six percent and something, right? Yeah. So. And you, you you mix it with a with a with your ingredients. Do you uh, measure it? Do you taste it? Do you do you measure the quantity and try to keep like a book or like graphs charts? And uh, have you tried to change quantity in according to the taste of your final products? How how does this works as as your as as this job? I mean. Uh in the end, yeah, I see exactly what you mean. What, what we do is so we control the, the ingredients, so what we put in. So we have used very exactly the same uh, process each time. So we take exactly the same amount of ethanol, exactly the same amount of water. We take exactly the same amount of juniper berries, um, raspberry leaf, rosebud. I mean, some of the quantities are very small because our distillation batch, each, each batch is around 100 liters, right? Uh, that means we, for example, have 30 grams of uh, rosebuds. So it's a very small quantity. Then we have like five grams of mint. So what we do is we have a, we just use a scale and we uh, control this. And then if it comes to the final product, what you can do, I mean, there's no other way really to do this than organoplectically. So you taste it. So we taste the product. We have reference products. So we keep a um, one bottle of each batch and we compare them. So we, we actually try them. I mean, it sounds like a tough job, as you can imagine. So we stand around and we pour a little bit of gin into a wine glass, we um, swirl it, we smell it, we taste it. So this is the way to keep consistency and quality. And this is basically the way they do it anywhere. I mean, I've visited many places, also um, vodka producers, so people actually distill their own vodka. This is the key way to do it. So there's no 
real scientific um, test for for taste because taste is, is such a complex um, there's such complex chemistry and that's why you need the distiller to be the one that actually gives the the taste to the different spirit you produces that's why also if yes. you use similar ingredient uh, the taste final taste is always different depending on who is actually making the distillation yeah we i mean we try to keep we have a very so we have a recipe which we uh, follow very exactly one thing is of course we for example had this at some stage because it's uh, the still is electrically heated right so one of the elements blew so there are four elements but we use two normally so one blew so we only used one that meant that distillation was much slower than usually because the, the heat uprate is so much slower so for example that can change the like the taste slightly it doesn't make a huge difference but it's something that you can notice sometimes as a distiller so i mean we didn't notice initially that the fused blue we just noticed it that it took such a long time for the still to heat up that something was wrong so then we called the electrician he checked and yeah so yeah, these things can happen these are the interesting part of the the small distillery that it's you are actually taking care of all the small details and, yeah okay johanna go yeah actually i uh, came up with a question before Nicola asked his question, and it was almost exactly the same question, um, um, which is related to somehow experimenting with the tastes and so on. Um, you mentioned that you give uh, different bottles from like uh, different batches and so mm -hmm. on. Um, whenever you have sort of multiple, let, let's call them input parameters in this sense, um, mm -hmm. so basically you have different ingredients and different amounts of those, when you have multiple of those, it's going to be difficult to sort of um, find a good balance between uh, some amount of this ingredient, some amount of that ingredient. Do you actually do sort of more this kind of experiment? I, I suppose you have to do it at some point when you come up with a new recipe, but um, if you want to change something, do you, do you, is it, is it easy to do just sort of by intuition or do you like change something by five grams and then produce a batch and then, you know, change it back and then change something else by uh, you know half a deciliter or or do you experiment with these uh, sort of ingredients how they how, how strong a taste they produce yes i mean this is a practical perspective right so we use um all, like if you look at all our gins we use diff 13 different um herbs if you want to call them that so different ingredients in addition to the alcohol and some of these, of course, we buy, or even most of these we buy because you know organic producer. And sometimes we have to switch suppliers, which means that the um, the ingredients come from different places, which means that they can also taste slightly differently. So sometimes you get a stronger tasting, for example, juniper or sweeter tasting juniper. Sometimes it's less sweet. So these are things we have to take into account uh, when we produce our gin. And it's, it, I mean, it's based on intuition as well. Sometimes what we need to do is that if we're not happy with the result, we just redistill it. So we don't. You know, we just take all the distillate and do the whole process again. But then we need to be a bit careful because the base is different. So then we need to adjust ingredients. But this happens. I mean, this is the reality how it goes. So sometimes you have to do these types of things, which is, of course, annoying having to redistill. But um, it is what it is. So it is actually up to us to decide if a batch is good enough or if you need to do something again. And we, have, we do sometimes distill again. I mean, it happens, I don't know, once, twice, three times a year that there's something which doesn't please us uh, just because of the ingredients, then we redo. So yeah, in the end, it's, it's closer to cooking and, and cooking is, is closer to, let's, let's call it uh, art than science. 
that's actually a good way to put it. This is a bit, this is between art and science. I think this is what, what is gin and uh, like, especially small batch gin. We are not completely scientific. We are not completely unscientific, but this is an art as well as a science. So before the next question, uh, you uh, released like what is last year, this uh, dry gin version of your Kalevala. <laughs> so since this connects with the, with what we just spoke about, how, how is the process to you to go? And also what is the difference, of course, without sharing the secrets between your normal Kalevala gin that is more uh, aromatic, how I call them aromatic gins compared to the dry gin. What is the difference over there? Why one or the other? Well, this is the ingredients, um, and I can tell this, this is not a secret. So this one has a black currant leaf as an additional um, herb or as a flavor. And black currant leaf is very strong uh, in taste, so you can see the difference. It gives it this dryish taste. I mean, dry comes for two reasons: more alcohol, so it's drier, so less water, but then also the taste in general. It's, it's a drier taste, um, and this is mainly due to the black currant leaf. So just the ingredients. All right, so Nicola, so, you had so you you, as far as I understood, you have different products, right? <laughs> different genes. You say more drier and less drier according to the ingredients you use. <laughs> uh, how do you select the final taste of your product? I mean, if you have like different trials and um, <laughs> how you guys select? Okay, this is the right choice. This is the good in recipe, and we can sell it. Is this like an internal um, discuss and agreed? Or you like try with like a small target audience and you try to, hey, give me like some feedback from someone else, like friends or family or whatever. Yeah, no, exactly. This is kind of what we do. I mean, just to explain also how we experiment with different things, we distill almost anything that we get our hands on. So we've tried, I don't know, tomatoes, um, cucumber, Carrots, name it. I mean, whenever I get something interesting new into my hands, I, we distill it. And we have it for this. We don't use our, our big still. We have a um, two and a half liter still, you know, like a one you would know in the lab, which basically does the same thing. So we just take a small quantity and we just try how it tastes, what the outcome is. And here I can tell you, for example, the story of our Navy gin or the blue label gin, as it's going to be called, is that uh, my uncle, he brought us um, some Jerusalem artichoke. I'm not sure if everybody's familiar with that uh, but it's basically it looks a bit like ginger but it, it grows in finland so during the summer and uh, he actually bought it for us to eat so to make soup typically make soup out of this but then i like i said every time i get something interesting i distill it so what we did with that we just chopped it up uh, and put it into the little still and distilled it and we really liked the taste and we had like i tested it with my family and they said well this is great and this is basically the the if you try the blue label gin this is the the taste you get out of it is this and it's just by testing and then seeing if we like it then we ask other people to um, try it but i can tell you something i mean most of the things we distill they don't taste good so we don't use them so we do the test distillation and then we find out well this isn't maybe the thing we're looking for then we move on and try something else but typically almost every day still something just out of uh, curiosity so basically you're telling me that now i have to buy both the <laughs> yeah. energy you are producing Exactly. Yeah, so now I'm drinking at the moment your gin, so to get more into the part and this, uh, which tonic would you recommend for your gin? I'm using now this Fever Tree Indian tonic because that's 
the basic that's the one you find the most easily in Finland. So that's what I usually use. But what is your favorite tonic that goes with your gin? I mean, one thing first off, we've always been more on the gin producing side. So we've tried to avoid using fancy tonics. So we also need, we have people try it on the ships. So we do the tastings. Typically, we use um, Schweppes Indian. Every, now, everybody's going to be shocked and say, well, that's um, <laughs> terrible gin, uh, terrible tonic. But I think the, the, the question here is that we, we don't want people to focus so much on the tonic. It's about gin. You know, so uh, I try to avoid this um, big discussion about different tonics because tonic is quite overwhelming the taste, right? Typically, you mix it three to one or two to one. So it's primarily tonic you're tasting. But then now that you ask me, I, I mean, for me, um, one good uh, tonic from Fever Tree, I think that works quite well, is the um, is it Mediterranean, I think, which is a bit drier than the um, Indian. All right. Yeah, that's... I usually use either that one or the elder elderflower if I really want to, because they are kind of a bit less strong on the taste. So they usually leave the gin a little bit more. And another thing is also, did you ever age your gin? Yeah, we will soon do that. We um, we've been looking into this for a while, but we. As I said, we are quite a small company and we have, we've been very busy, but this is something we actually really want to do. We have had um, some good feedback from Instagram from people who just aged our gin themselves. So they bought a bottle and they had like small barrels to age it in it. They said it's really great. Nice. So we are looking to do it. Yeah. So soon you will have to buy a bottle of that as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, I actually, I'm really planning to buy a cask and do it myself. Okay. So questions? Any other? Any other? So what, what uh, if I want to buy? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So w what if I want to buy your gene? Where, where can I find it? So uh, at Alco, if they don't have it in the store, you can ask them to get it. They can always get it. It doesn't cost you anything. That's one way. You know, and Alco is a bit tricky. You know, in Finland, the, Al the alcohol law is what it is. So uh, there's a monopoly, and basically they decide what they do. Uh, we. We get along well with alcohol, but it's a bit tricky for small producers to like cooperate on a commercial basis with alcohol, in my opinion. But that's the life with a monopoly. But otherwise, we are very well represented on the ships from uh, so the cruise ships that go, for example, to uh, Tallinn and to Stockholm. So you can find us on Eker, uh, Tallinn, and Viking. So on all the ships, basically. So you're uh, really based on fin in Finland mostly. Uh, well, in the no, no. To that so we also abroad for example in denmark we are quite well represented um, right. in germany also uh, spain we have some distribution belgium austria now we i mean we are focusing at the moment on the far east so we have distribution now in singapore and in south korea and we are going to be distributed also in australia from the beginning of next year but these are things that take a while to to set up but these yeah. countries we already are possibly also canada so canada is something where we are currently um, in the process of listing All right, so I'm going to take one bottle to Italy for, for wow. Christmas as a gift. <laughs> But Johanna, your words? Um, well, yeah, it's, it's, I guess this is a question for anyone who basically drinks more gin than I do, but which is basically any. Um, <laughs> do you actually enjoy gin you know, on the rocks or just raw gin without making uh, tonics, GNT or whatever? whatever? Uh, what I understand that is 
mostly people drink GT, but but I would uh, estimate that you know now we have some people who might just like the gin. So yeah, I mean that's a good point actually because initially, and now I have to make an admission. I think I thought before I started producing gin, I didn't really like gin. I think my first experience with gin was when I was well still quite young, and I think I tried something uh, like supermarket. Something like Finsbury gin, or I don't remember what it is. And after that, I didn't drink gin for maybe four or five years. And when, when we set up the company, one of the ideas that I wanted to do is that I wanted to make a gin that you can drink neat as well, you know, so which isn't too too strong in taste. For example, some gins are, have such strong juniper taste that it's almost, you know, revolting. But this was the idea, actually, that we make a gin which you could enjoy without tonic. So uh, that's a good point. So I actually drink our gin at least i like to drink it neat um or alternatively i think a tom collins or gin fizz as some call it it's a very similar drink is a good good option to gin tonic and as i said before i think the problem with gin tonic is that it the tonic typically overwhelms the gin so you don't really taste the gin you drink the tonic with yeah like a bit of gin flavor yeah what something that i've heard uh, people say <laughs> slightly in a in a humorous tone is that uh, they hate gin and they hate tonic, but when you put them together, it's drinkable. <laughs> I, I suppose this is quite often the case with, especially with sort of, like you mentioned, very strong tasting gins or, you know, mass produce something that is not basically something that is made for GT instead of just, you know, being drinkable neat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this was uh, actually, since Nicole is also here and <laughs> he's not friend over here that they were really like, oh, no, I cannot drink gin tonic. Sorry, I got <laughs> really bad when I was younger. <laughs> then it's like, come here, try a good gin with a good tonic or even just a gin. And then everybody changed their, their mind. And it's like, okay, gin tonic is good or gin is good. It's not the shit gin that you usually drink in uh, whatever random place. But when you actually have a gin that is made to taste good, then you can actually really taste the differences between the different genes. And well, yeah. then, then that it really the taste comes there because yeah. And and to me, sort of gin seems like one of those uh, drinks which can have extremely refined tastes. So something that is, um, for example, you mentioned that uh, to Kalevala genes, you put some rose petals, um, which mm. has a like a very delicate taste. I imagine uh, mm. so. Um, if if a person is even uh, like can figure out or can sort of um, understand that this it has this taste, it's it's something that's com- can be completely eclipsed by you know if you mix it with something. So so to me, it sort of seems counterproductive <clears throat> to uh, to drink gin mixed with something else because if if some people if if it's like we can call it a craft of of finding out different kind of layers of taste, then it seems very weird that you take all that away by mixing it with something. Yes, exactly. I mean, this is also what we see if we, like, can, I'm not sure if you can say experts, but you know, there are people who are really into gin, so they, they really t- try and taste them. So they, I, I'm, I'm sure they taste them neat primarily. And you, we often have discussions and, you know, we don't give away all ingredients, but some of these people are really good at like uh, finding out which they are. So they really have refined taste so they can, they have figured out almost everything we have in our gin. I never say yes or no, just because otherwise we would be giving it away. 
but in general they can do it um so yeah that's a quite quite a nice thing to see actually and the uh, yeah. aged gin is also like really nice to drink neat <laughs> because it gets a little bit more flavor it has its own point of view that this is actually it's very interesting because everyone has its own different perspective about alcohol in general and gin to me i i like very much the thing is that you can mix different alcohol with different sorry different gin with different tonics and you can craft your own drink like i want today i want have a gin tonic more drier tomorrow maybe i want like a sweeter one one more like citric and this is something that i really like it that that we can consume different drinks as we like it it's up a little bit of up to us how do you mix it how you make it if you want put some garnishes inside or not so you you become also who's the consumer becomes uh, creative for his mm-hmm. own drink yeah no, exactly i think that's the good thing also now that you see i mean gin has been booming in europe let's say for the past 10 years approximately right you so you see these small distilleries coming up and i think that the nice thing about this for customers is that we really offer variety as well you know we offer quality and variety so I mean, I wouldn't say to people buy only Argin. I think it's it's just the right thing that people try different things. You know, find out what is actually your your favorite gin. And there are so many varieties. I think people sometimes get stuck on just one thing, and they say this is the best thing ever. They never try anything else. They still say this is the best thing. How would you know if you don't try all the other things? There are new things coming out all the time. So why not try? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> this. I have quite many gins. I usually always try to drink a different one when we have something to drink and now i already starting to know which one i like the most and then my girlfriend she likes m- more drier gins i like more the one with the weird taste is if you drink only one or two because then it gets pretty heavy some some gins really are really weird that sometimes it's <laughs> pretty absurd how people really find this ingredient that as you said actually now now we know how because you just distill everything you have and find out what what fits or not yeah and i have here on my notes funny facts so first it's what is the worst no no the weirdest thing you distilled or as a taste which one would you say has um, a weird taste let me just think for a while There have been many different things we've tried um hmm what's the weirdest one i think uh anise is one of those you know it's not the weirdest one necessarily but it has a very um, you know specific taste uh another thing is actually beetroot which we've tried um it's not bad but it's just uh, one of those I'm not sure if there's anything that's really been bad it's always interesting but quite often you don't see how it could work as a gin You know, this is the thing we look for. We look for tastes that that we think people would enjoy. And like, exactly, for example, beetroot is one of those things where we kind of like thought, well, this is interesting, but I'm not sure how this would, um, how people would like this actually. So we still have the sample somewhere. We might use it one day, but uh, for now, I think it's one of those things that we have put aside uh, for for a better day. Yeah, it's more of a science to try everything and then find the best. Yeah. 
How many so, times you got drunk by trying? <laughs> f- f- funny question. No, well, to be honest, um, I wouldn't say, especially when, we, especially when we test, we wouldn't get drunk because what we do is, you know, we take it in the wine, so just neat. We so we mix it with water to approximately forty percent uh, because that releases the taste better. Then we swirl it in the wine glass. And, you know, we we um, swallow a little bit, but you mainly take it in your mouth and you do it similar to wine tasting, maybe. So you like um, oh. flush it in your mouth. To okay. get a good taste, and you swallow a little bit because you want to also see how it works down the throat because some some things can be quite um, you know, stingy, but mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't really uh, get drunk on this, especially because we usually do one or two per day, so we have like it's not that much, not so many different things to try in one day, so it's it's limited in in terms of quantity. And also, since you distill, like it's not that you distill every day, so you just need to try, I guess, only one time, one batch. So with the small still, like I, this is a, like a, yeah, it's like a two and a half liter still basically. Okay. So this so we, we run almost every day. So we like we do our production distillation. We do once or twice a week, but the the testing we can do like we do three or four times a week. It's not uncommon, and we try other things like we've done. You know, we're going to release a birch sap product as well, so which doesn't have uh, water but only alcohol and and birch sap, which is interesting as a product. So it's very local, you know. Uh, in Kite, there's a company called um, Arctic Koivu, so which means Arctic Birch, and they produce birch sap. And we we are starting a cooperation with them. I mean, it's a limited batch we're going to release, but it's a very interesting tasting product as well. So uh, look out for that. All right. I, so it's already. I have to put uh, 200 euro on it <laughs> just just after this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so be, while other people think a bit. If they have more questions, I I have here one on really how do you do when you start? Like you want to make a good gin. Do you have an idea of what you want to make or do you try different things until you find something you like or how much is the theory compared to the practice in your personal making gin? I think there's quite limited uh, theory. I think it's trying different things. I, I think I said initially in the introduction that I started this uh, actually in 2010 and I was still an undergraduate student. I, I was actually living in London, but when I came back to Finland, I applied for this alcohol license, like an experimental license, and I started trying different things with that. And so, it's, I mean, it took us basically from, I mean, I didn't do it full time because I was doing at first my bachelor's and my master's and I just did it on the weekends, but I tried different things over basically four years. Uh, and it kind of developed from there Then we had the first gin, um, so the distilled one, the one with the white label. Uh, then we developed the um, dry gin and the navy gin. So um, it's been, it's, it's a path, it's really trying things. There's not much theory to it, in my opinion. It's just trying what tastes good and that's where you go with. So this would be like your permanent job if you had a chance. I mean, if you have like working products, this would be like your your future job. Would you like that? Uh, just producing or trying new things, you mean? Yeah, like find like new distillation processes, how to optimize it, maybe scale up your production and uh, see how it goes. Yes, I mean, we're developing new 
also because our company is growing, we need to um, buy new equipment or develop new equipment. I build quite a lot myself, um, not the steel, but, you know, I do uh, like the plumbing I do myself The because I'm also a chemical engineer. So I do the water purification equipment. I've bought it myself and installed it myself. And I do these things as well. So this is kind of the, the fun things in my life. But um, as I said, I work as a full-time uh, PhD researcher at university. So we have a lot of work there as well. So I'm, I'm actually not working on, on science at all anymore. So I'm, I'm working on law. So I'm doing my PhD at the law faculty and in, in, in at the University of Eastern Finland. Um, but I like different things. This is, I think, for me, the, the thing why I also like um, gin in the first place, because there's variety. You can try different things. I guess I've always been curious in life. I also have another company with my sister where we produce art glass. So we produce design objects. That's also quite exciting. But they're very different things. And I think we combine, I combine different ideas. Um, I know it sounds weird. How could you combine law? How could you combine design glass with, with making gin? You get inspiration. I mean, this is the thing. I see different things and I get different ideas. I go, I travel to various places. And we, for example, if I travel, I normally go to botanical gardens and I, um, you know, look at things, read about things, taste things, smell things, and then you can get new ideas of what to do next. But it's a process. It takes a long time. It's not something you do consciously. It's something you do subconsciously. You're just into the whole thing so much that you, you kind of like whenever you see an interesting plant, you're just like, I wonder what, what that would taste like if I made gin out of that. You know, and then you keep doing that. Uh, just an observation here or continuation of the discussion um mm. i find it actually now that you mentioned that you sort of create art uh art class or design objects mm. i and then you mentioned botanical gardens i think it's actually um the, i mean i don't think it's at least not for me it's a it's it's, it's a very easy sort of imaginable imaginative leap to make from um looking at some plant and then at the same time deciding or, or trying to trying to think Uh, how could I make this as a glass object and how could I make this as a gin? So, or uh, to say it otherwise, if you see a beautiful glass object that uh, has vibrant colors and whatnot, how could you try to make a gin which tastes like that art object looks like? So um, you mentioned you get inspiration from different areas and I, I sort of, I can easily see how going to a botanical garden might sort of um, fill you up with inspiration for both of these things, basically using the visual uh, visual side of botanical gardens for, for the visual side, which is the art objects, and then sort of all the smells and uh, sort of um, humidity and, and so on, sort of the feeling that you have uh, in the botanical garden as an inspiration for maybe a gin, which is inspired by some very strong uh, smell of some herb or, or something like this. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think that's exactly before as well. I mean, one of your colleagues also said this, that, that it's, it's as much an art as a science, or it's got both aspects. So making yeah. gin is, isn't purely um, a technology. It's also a way, I guess, a way of life and a way of looking at things. And as yeah. you, you, you guys, I guess, uh, most of you are scientists, um, you know, uh, maybe that's only hard science and I come from a hard science background. So I've studied biochemical and chemical engineering, but then I think this has been a really nice experience doing this because I don't have to on, only think about the hard science to it. I can also just let my imagination go. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, this is <laughs> completely unrelated to gin, uh, but 
related to hard sciences and uh, art, which is that I, I think it's a shame that nowadays, or I don't know nowadays, but anyway, um, people really think that they are completely uh, two different things and sort of that if you are good in science, then you can't be good in art, or if you are good in art, you can't be good in science, whereas in fact, uh, lots of, um, again, inspiration for whatever problem you're trying to solve, whether it's a problem related to um, artistic endeavors or, you know, a scientific problem which you're trying to solve, you can quite easily get um, sort of new ideas and new way of looking at the thing which you have been trying to solve for a long time from doing something completely different and unrelated. And Aalto actually, in these days, they are really trying to push hard on this art and science together. They're having all this, uh, I guess, art inspired by science uh, projects and all this kind of thing. So, yeah, we are discussing, but some people are actually doing that or trying to do that. Yeah, I, I also find it uh, enjoyable that uh, bigger companies, for example, the the, one of the, I guess, the largest Finnish uh, dairy producing company, Valio. Uh, mm-hmm. They're doing all kinds of weird things with ice cream right now because I I haven't tasted it, but I want to taste it. Uh, they they had an advertisement about an ice cream which has basically gorgonzola and licorice. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> that yeah, is weird. <laughs> but potentially very good. Yeah. Yes. I see this also in my in my daily life and in my in my job. I mean, technology it all all comes you know with science behind, but the truly inventors are the ones that can match science and technical fundamentals with something new, a product that no one has never seen before, like designing something new. So you melt your knowledge into something that you mold it into something that it's not been used yet, but it can be, and the potential can be huge. I see the design part is, is very important for anything, for any, any, for any products, uh, manufacturing products. And, uh, and I, I'm actually curious about how you, your distiller, for example, you, you mentioned you have like 100 liter distiller, right? Mm-hmm. It's. I, I assume it's very big. I don't know, but I guess it's big. I mean, it needs to. You need to reach a temperature and everything. You must have a lot of parts. Do you design it yourself, or there are suppliers in the market that you buy these products? Uh, do you see yourself thinking about, hey, how can I improve this machine, this tool, to make like a even better yield or better gene? Yes, I mean this is the thing for. Stills, I mean, th- th- you buy them in principle, but you cannot have them modified. So this is what we did as well. So I found this still. It's actually a used one when I bought it, but I had it modified completely uh, to, to suit us. So, for example, the vapor tray and other um, aspects were added and on our request. You know, they do this by hand. So there's no, like, mass manufacturing of stills as such. So, so each time they are designed per customer request. Uh, and so you could, like, um, well, you can come visit us as well. You see this actual still. You can see pictures online, but it's made by hand. So they actually like it's it's a craftsmanship how stills are made. So you know they're made from copper mainly. So only there's only some limited parts that are made from stainless steel. 
and they hammer it. So the copper is hammered into the shape. Um, so it's basically copper and brass and it's all craft handcrafted. So, uh, yeah, you can influence a lot yourself as well. All right. Uh, is anybody having other questions? Apparently not. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you this. Beside your gin, which is your favorite drink that you enjoy when, when you want to drink, what do you go for? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I wouldn't say one, but I, I say one which I drink at the moment. Let's put it like this. Uh, I like Campari, for example. Oh, Campari nice. Soda. <laughs> I think that's a nice one. Um, and uh, I like whiskey as well. Uh, I like, for example, Jameson's. I know it's nothing special, but I like Irish whiskey. So um, these are the things I like cognac. Okay. So uh, what about Negroni then? Yes, Negroni is also I for my own taste it's maybe a bit too strong and you can't really often taste the gin so much anymore, you know, because there's too many other uh, you know, too much other alcohol in there, but um I think Negroni is an interesting drink. It depends on the day. I think gin tonic is easier, you know, gin tonic you oh, drink, yeah. drink in the morning, in the day, in the evening. So uh it goes all day. Then Negroni is something more more specific. Um but yeah, I think if I drink something, I, I like, uh, no, I don't like mixed drinks too much. I prefer my drinks neat. So I drink gin neat. I drink, um, well, Campari, I drink with soda usually. So I just, uh, a Campari soda. Whiskey maybe with a little bit of water, but I'm not a big fan of um, drinks myself. So I do enjoy the, the taste of the actual product. Okay. That's, uh, that's really interesting. That's actually a way to, to do it. There are so many people really enjoy the cocktail part of the <laughs> drinks and i have a question uh would you would you uh match your your gin with, with the food well that's a good question actually i've to be honest i haven't thought about this but i think we should i think this is also a nice way to um enjoy i think what could work quite well just off the top of my mind is game you know so things that you hunt from the forest so fresh game meat that I think would work quite well. It's also because um, the juniper is a nice addition to game. That would come to my mind right now. So maybe um, duck or uh, moose, something like that. Is there is there something that you want to, I don't know, advertise or is something that you're going to do in the near future or before? When are you going to make a really special edition with some handmade glass with your some special edition gin? Oh, yeah. Is this is actually something that's on in, in development. We should have it by next year. So we're actually going to make some glass, so um, hand-blown glass glasses. Uh, it's a special edition. We've actually been planning this for a while, so we should have it out maybe next March. So okay. uh, keep nice. looking out for that. All right. Uh, well, so I guess you're going to release soon this uh, Navi Strength. That's out already. Ah, it's out already. Well, then, okay. Then this is the... I actually discovered this visiting this distillery in Helsinki, why it's called Navy Strength. Okay, yeah. And beside the fact that the gunpowder needs to have alcohol more than 50% to still burn or explode, ignite, mm -hmm. right? Uh, exactly. If it's, if it's wet, so that's what you actually need in a boat, but also the fact that if the alcohol, whatever they got in the boat as payment, they got alcohol as payment. That's that's an interesting way of get paid. But if it was less than fifty percent, then of course they are getting screwed. So there was 
very good way to test the strength of the alcohol, put it in the gunpowder, see if it ignites, and actually check the, I don't know, the quality of the alcohol that they are getting. Well, not the quality, but ABV, yes. Yeah, the strength of the alcohol. How nice. Yeah, that, so, that makes me that makes maybe makes you worry about that. Uh, your system, Moritz, must be. I mean, you must have some like safety uh, procedure how to handle everything. Because I mean, it's a lot of alcohol, as, as you. So I you know it's inflammable. Think it's kind of dangerous as well. I suppose. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, so this requires. A but um, so we need uh, the equipment we handle the alcohol with and also the, the spaces we work in. They're certified uh, um, to be explosive proof. It's like a thing that you have to make a certification for. And then it, also the buildings need to be fireproof. So this is related to ventilation and the actual equipment. So, for example, the pumps and all these things are special equipment which are earthed. So you don't get sparks. Otherwise, you could get um, explosions. Yeah, But this is something that is, is specific to this industry. So. I mean, there's other technical things as well, and there's uh, tax-related things, you know, that we need to have these bonded warehouses and whatnot. So the alcohol business is not really easy to get into, so this requires a lot of um, technical knowledge, uh, administrative knowledge, legal knowledge. So uh, it, it is a variety of things you need to take care of before you can actually um, start wow, producing sounds, alcohol. Sounds like a, yeah, go, go. Sounds like a lot of work for, for all of you guys doing this. Yes, it is. <laughs> Especially okay. starting up. Yeah, to st starting up is something because Finland is not the best place to do these things, uh, for sure. Like since the north, the north of Europe is still has problem with alcohol, and hopefully they're gonna solve these issues in the near future. But for now, it's really strict. So how hard is it? This is more like I want to know personally. How hard is it to actually start distilling? Because I guess you don't just start. Uh, okay, I'm gonna start making gin in a and but you need to start smaller to see how that works yeah i mean there's two ways some i mean we did we started smaller just because this was for me something i wanted to experiment with some some people just have a lot of money or they uh, collect funding and then they start a distillery we did it the other way around so we started very small and we've been growing from there but i mean it takes a lot so you need different licenses i think the most important things are of course uh, getting firstly a, a license to produce alcohol so that would be valvira in finland who takes care of that That can take up to a year, so it's a different applications. It costs money, of course, also. The other thing is you need a bonded warehouse because, um, you know, excise taxes in Finland are very high. So that means that you get a, you need to talk with customs and with the taxman, and then they set a bond, which you put into an account, which then is frozen. So if you start drinking too much of your own ethanol, they're going to um, be able to, to charge that from you. You wow. need to like what we just talked about the the um, explosive things and all these. You know these need to be taken care of. So that's typically uh, local authorities and the fire department, for example. Uh, so there's many different things. It's it's a lot of administration to start up. So it's not it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, this is just to show if you're just drinking something, uh, even more if it's a small uh, distillery, how much work goes into this final drink that you can just buy a bottle and enjoy and it takes several years just to to start and yeah yeah it's it's a lot of work i can say trying to um, put anybody off doing it i think it's a it's a great thing in finland that we have um more and more distilleries it's good for us especially when we go to the um, international markets because it's good that finland is known as a gin producing country 
but it doesn't make it any easier to start up. So it's very competitive as well as a business internationally. So Finland, uh, we, we talked about this initially, that in Finland there's only five or six distilleries producing gin, but for example in Germany you must have three, four hundred maybe, similar in the UK. So there's a lot, a lot of competition um, in this uh, in this business. Yeah, you have to make something different, and it's not really easy to really make something different every time. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, if if anybody has some small remark before we close this. Well, I guess then uh, I really want to thank you to join us. It was uh, really interesting. Every time someone comes, we always learn something new. And before we close, do you have some place where people can find you, the distillery that you want to talk? And I'm going to also put some links in the description of the podcast, of course, so people can find social links or... Mm -hmm. Well, you can find us on Instagram is the most. So if you want to find out more about us, go online, check out our webpage. There's some information about the distillery, about us, um, different things. If you want to stay up to date of what we're actually doing, uh, Instagram is the best place to go. But I think uh, otherwise I don't have much to add. I want to thank you guys for inviting me. It's been very interesting talking to you. Yeah. And thanks again. And for us, thanks for listening this far. This always uh i'm not sure how many people really get this far but if you got this far our twitter at stg underscore podcast join there come to speak with us ask a question and see you for the next episode bye bye Bye. thanks bye bye bye